Please state your name for the record. John Chafee. I'm Chris Parrish. I'm Brent Simmons. You're listening to The Record. The Record brings you all the stories you should know about the Apple development community. This is Season 1, Seattle Before the iPhone. Today we're recording at the offices of the Omni Group in Seattle. Our guest is John Chafee. John is the co-founder of BusyMac and former employee of well-known 90s tech companies such as Now Software, Extensus, and Fairlawn. He was also the founder of Splash Data, which you may have heard of. John, it's great to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. So you've been around a little while, um, and, and you must have gotten your start, and maybe you didn't, but maybe you got your start in Mac Software uh, way back in I don't know when. <laughs> how, how did you get into this business, and what were you doing at first? Um, yeah, I've been in this business for 25 years. Mm-hmm. I think the first Mac company I worked for, well, actually, the first Mac company I worked for was Apple as a QA contractor. Oh, cool. Um, but the first third-party software or hardware developer I worked for was Farallon. Mm-hmm. And they were the ones who invented the PhoneNet connectors. Oh, yeah, I remember PhoneNet. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so the early Macs had a thing called Apple Talk, which was a local area networking protocol. It was very cool, but it was very slow, too. Uh, but it's I mean, very everything chatty, was, everything was slow back then. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and phone net connectors were invented by Farallon. They were actually invented by the guy who founded the Berkeley Mac Users Group, uh, Reese Jones, oh, cool. I think is his name. And that's where it sprung from. Mm-hmm. And um, they figured out a way to just use standard telephone wire to create your local area network. It was, it was very cool. Wow. So um, I went to work for them. And at that time, I was doing sales. Mm-hmm. And I covered the Northwest Territory, which included Seattle. But I was actually living in Berkeley at the time. Okay. Were you uh, regular with uh, BMUG? Uh, not until I uh, got the job at Farallon. Yeah, okay. I got to back us up for one second sure. because I've always made the joke that Apple has no QA people. So I got to know, what did you do oh, yeah. Yeah, for QA at Apple? Yeah. What, what were you doing yeah. there? Um, it was, I believe it was the Mac. I was going to just say OS ten. It wasn't OS ten. but it was, <laughs> it was some kind of Mac server. I can't okay. remember what it was Oh, was it the then. Unix-based one? AUX? That, uh, a, yeah. Or I was it a different, so. like, one of their... sharing and okay. sharing I can server. remember that oh, one okay. a bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. It was just like a six-month contract or something. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the details because it was so long ago. Right. But, it, yeah, it, it was a real QA job. And that, yeah. ladies and gentlemen, was the last Mac QA job. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. perfect. Oh, PhoneNet. So going back to what you said, we, uh, yeah. I, when I was young, teenager, I worked for my grandfather at a print shop, and uh, he had was early adopter of all the desktop publishing stuff. And so um, he had a lot of Macs, and we strung it all together with PhoneNet. I remember thinking, this is great. And you had to have the little Terminators yeah. on the empty ports and whatnot. But um, we used that extensively. It was way, way better than the Apple Talk answer. <laughs> yeah, and um, your Terminator thing just reminded me of something else. Actually, prior to Now Software, now that I think back further, I worked at SuperMac. Oh, yeah, SuperMac. <laughs> and Mac. Uh, they were the... De- First developers of color monitors for the Mac. This is like the time of the two CI, I think, mm-hmm. the oh, first yeah. Mac that had color. And they were the first ones to come out with big monitors. And probably in those days, big was 17-inch maybe. Yeah, or maybe even 20. Yeah, like I, 20. I think that we had a Super Mac 20-inch grayscale on one of our uh, production yeah. workstations at the print shop, actually. Yeah, and they cost thousands yeah. and thousands of dollars. Sure, yeah. And it was for you know real professional you know artists and so forth. Uh, but they also sold hard drives, and this was at the time when SCSI drives were new. Mm-hmm. And a 20 megabyte SCSI drive would probably cost you two thousand dollars. Yeah, they were megabytes. Mm, I mean, isn't that crazy? It's unbelievable. And yeah, you had to do the SCSI. And they also yeah. required termination. Yeah, yeah. God, and, it was so sick debugging all that SCSI and stuff. And in fact, it's the terminating the terminating a SCSI chain, which is how I met my wife. Some people did call it sexy yeah. right? instead no. of scuzzy. My wife worked for Apple in sales at the time here really? in Seattle, yeah. which is oh, why okay. I am now in Seattle. But uh, she was doing a trade show, and I was traveling there from. Now I was now at Farallon. I'd show up with one of those big Halliburton suitcases mm-hmm. filled with cables and mm-hmm. crimpers and connectors, and I would wire the shows. And uh, she was. Um, trying to set up one of the Macs with a couple of SCSI drives and it wasn't working. And I told her, well, you, you had to terminate the end of that chain. She's like, no, you don't. I said, yes, you do. And I pulled one out of my suitcase and crimped it on there. And she was like, wow, he actually knows what he's talking about. <laughs> we were so married awesome. not long after that. Wow. That's, That's incredible. That was probably the best thing that ever happened with SCSI. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was so. just like two years ago. I finally threw out realizing <laughs> I'll never use these cords or these terminators ever again. <laughs> right. Boy. No, oh, 
that's awesome. So, uh, so what did you do at Farland? Was it just it was uh, sales? sales? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of it was uh, going around and training people how how it works because back in those days, everything well, it was hardware anyway, so it was had to be sold via retail, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it required people to do the installations because right. you would actually hook it into your existing phone system. So mm-hmm. you had to go mm-hmm. back in the closet where all the f- the phone wires come in and and crimp things a little differently. Because it actually worked off of the existing phone wires where there's typically four wires in the phone and two of them were being used by the phone and two of them were not being right. used. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember whether it was the inner or the outer one. Right, but right. basically mm-hmm. we ran on the other pair that wasn't being mm-hmm. used. Yeah, so you cool. didn't actually r- have to run new wire into your, right. your office or, or home. Yeah. That's uh, pretty cool. Brilliant idea. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So what uh, – you were into the Mac before you got your QA job at Apple? Was that the case? Yeah. So before I moved to um, – Silicon Valley to work at Apple. Um, I was living in Santa Barbara, and I was actually trying to sell computer desks. I had a friend mm. who was designing them, and I was right. trying to sell them. And again, this was the time of retail stores, and so there was like a, I can't remember what the name of the stores were, the Bite Shop or something yeah, like huh, that. Right, and I was yeah. trying to get them to carry these computer desks. <laughs> and in order to do that, I'd go to the local Mac store which was kind of like a Kinko's in that they were doing PageMaker 1.0 desktop publishing and laser oh, yeah. printer. So you could go in there and you could create your flyers and your brochures. And so that was my first exposure to the Mac. And it was probably back in the 512 days. I don't think it was 128, but it was, um, um, well, actually, gosh, I keep remembering things that came before. Okay, before mm-hmm. that happened, when I was in Santa Barbara, <laughs> I was working for a company called VIP Technologies. Um, and that at this point, I'm doing shipping and handling. But okay. this was a company that was developing software for the Atari ST and the oh. Apple IIGS. Oh, okay. Um, and they were writing a Lotus 1-2-3 clone. Oh, for, um, interesting. Those platforms. <laughs> yeah. And they did it, too. Wow. Um, and I remember we got a Mac, and, uh, and people were pretty intrigued by yeah, it. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was actually the first time I learned about the Mac. And then when that company folded... And they folded because they weren't paying their taxes. And the IRS came and put a padlock on the door. <laughs> I, do it. That's when I found myself trying to sell computer yeah, desks. Yeah. Um, and then I, I discovered this desktop publishing thing. And yeah. I, I just fell in love with the Mac. I thought it was just right. awesome. Mm-hmm. And I said, I want to do this. Um, and that's when I started sending out resumes to every company I could think of uh, in the Bay Area. And that's when I got the call. Um, I guess it was Super Mac that called, actually, okay. um, before. So it was Super Mac then Apple QA, mm. and then Carillon. Yep. <laughs> okay. All right. Wasn't that something, though, when the 2CI came out and the first color yeah. screens? Like, oh, my I loved goodness. It. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, Macs were so wonderful already, but color, even just the few colors there were, mm-hmm. it's like, oh. Yeah, my two favorite Macs were the 2CI, for sure, mm-hmm. um, and the SE30 leading oh, up yeah. to that. Yeah, the SE30s that were workhorses. Awesome. Yeah, they were. Yeah. yeah. But I had to sell the SE30. Because that was the engagement ring. <laughs> but uh, she worked for okay, Apple. For she that, that's a good CI. cause. Oh, that was a good go. trade That's a good trade <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Yeah, TCI was a fabulous machine. That one a lot. We had one that ran in my grandfather's print shop for a long time. Mm. So after Super Mac, what happened? Oh, it was Super Mac, then Farallon. Yep. Okay. So then from Farallon, um, that's when I moved to the north. From there, I moved to the northwest, and that was to to Portland, which is where now yeah. software was. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was an attempt to get closer to Seattle because my wife was born and raised in Seattle and she did not uh, like living in yeah. the Bay Area. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, she had the, the you know, I, I kind of like Berkeley and stuff, but she had to commute to San Jose to work at Apple. Uh, yeah. She mm-hmm. had a horrible commute. So yeah. I messed that up for her and she was anxious to get home. <laughs> so she had an opportunity to transfer to the Portland Apple office. Right. And so I said, well, let me see if I can find a job in Portland. And fortunately, um, I found Now Software. And at the time, this was like System 7 days, early 90s, right. like 1990, 1991, I think. Um, and they had a, a bunch of utilities called Now Utilities um, that did all kinds of nifty things, like uh, gave you hierarchical menus and I can't remember all the things it did. Yeah, I, I, I remember that one specifically now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so... Um, at the, by then, I was a product manager at Farallon, and I w- was trying to get a product management job anywhere in the Northwest, and now software called. And um, they had an opportunity with a new product uh, for doing calendaring, which was something I was passionate about. And, and the way that came about was um, there was this programmer. His name is Dave Riggle, and he's actually my 
business partner now. Mm -hmm. He was working at Claris, which was the company that did MacWrite and MacPaint, mm -hmm. which is now a FileMaker, I believe. That's what it became. Yeah, we, yeah. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. That yeah. company. It was Apple's software division, I guess. Right. And FileMaker may still exist, but Bento is their big yeah. thing, I guess, now. Yeah. yeah. So Dave was working at Claris, and he took a two- or four-week paternity leave when his wife was about to have their baby. And, and you know, while well, he, he was inspired and bored waiting for the baby to come out or something, and he cranked <laughs> out this calendar application. <laughs> and when he went back to work, he showed it to them, and he was really jazzed about it, and mm -hmm. they didn't like it. They said the world doesn't need one of those, or what really? would people do with this? And he was very obstinate about it. And they, and by the way, they claimed that, you know, we own that code, by the way, because you're uh -huh. a way of ours right, when of you course, wrote it. Yeah. But he made life so miserable for them <laughs> <laughs> that they allowed him to leave. Mm -hmm. uh, they, it, they allowed him to keep the code if he agreed to leave. Wow. wow. That's a great <laughs> Or strategy. something along those lines. Uh -huh. I think he, they had to cross-license it with them. I think they right, had the right okay. to do something with it, but they never did. So he was looking for a publisher, mm -hmm. and he had contacted Now Software because they were in the business of publishing software for other um, developers. And so they're getting a letter from him r right around the same time that they're getting a letter from me. Mm -hmm. I think this was before email. I think it was letters, mm -hmm. or maybe yeah, there was sure. Apple yeah. Link or something right. like that. <laughs> and so it was just very um, serendipitous that we both kind of approached them at the same time. And they said, so I became the product manager for that, and, and now he had a publisher. And so this was probably like the fall of 1990, I think. And we worked furiously for about four months so we could launch the product at Macworld Expo. Yeah, um, of course. In San Francisco, I guess it would be in January. Um, so to, uh, to digress for one moment, uh, yeah. you wouldn't have a company like Now Today that publishes on behalf of, of other software developers because the issue was they had to create shrink wrap, wrap boxes, get mm -hmm. manuals, ship this stuff all over the place, it was get it in the stores. It a totally different world. Right, yeah. Yeah, or even was. support and things like that. Yeah, yeah right? sure. The yeah. product mm -hmm. was shipped on a floppy disk. Mm -hmm. It had to be sold through retail. I right. think this was even before mail order really mm -hmm. existed. Yeah. I mean, it, right. was, it went to stores. Um, and so it was a real pain because you had to QA it because you had to produce thousands of these things, mm -hmm. shrink wrap them, you know, produce mm -hmm. them, ship them out. And then once you do discover bugs, you know, you got to go through this huge cycle of, fixing the bugs, reproducing right. the stuff, shipping it out. So, I mean, it was, it was very costly in those days to, mm -hmm. to do software. And, it, and then as a result, software was a lot more expensive, too. Sure, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it, was, it was a very different world. Yeah. So that was now up-to-date? <laughs> yeah, that, that? that was yeah. now up-to-date okay. 1.0. And, um, and it was revolutionary in that it allowed you to share your calendar over that local area network that ah, Apple had built through sharing. Apple Talk. Yeah. That's Brilliant. And, so, and there was no... Um, there was no iCal back then. Yeah, there was no built-in no, calendaring. No. This was OS 7. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So um, it was it was quite cool. And I really enjoyed that. It was, it was a very fun job. Um, had some great stories. I can remember um, one time... I think this was leading up to that initial launch. There was... We had this programmer. He was brilliant. I'll even say his name. His name is Jorg Brown. And I think he works at Google on Gmail now, or at least he did when they launched Gmail. He's probably mm. working on something else. But he was this brilliant guy that could write assembly code, and he was like the one doing a lot of those now utility things. Mm -hmm. um, and he had this alarm app that could, you know, trigger alarms. And we said, well, let's take that and combine it with now up to date, you know. Um, so there was kind of an API, I guess, where the stuff Dave Riggle was writing had to communicate mm -hmm. with the stuff Jorg was writing. Jorg had bizarre work habits. He liked to work only during night night hours. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I completely understand. <laughs> and uh, the problem is, is um, you you could find bugs in his code pretty quickly, but he wouldn't show up until the end of the night when right. you're, everybody's leaving, right? And then so there was this long delays between the time you told him about a bug to the time he thought he fixed it until you found the next one, uh -huh. you know? And so we were getting really close to our deadline to, to, to finish this thing so mm -hmm. we could produce it. And so I took a lounge chair to work and I and my blanket and my pillow. And I said, all right, York, get to work. As soon as you have those bugs fixed, wake, wake me up. And so he'd come back a few hours, give me a floppy disk. I'd go test it, find some bugs, give them the list, go back to bed. And we did this for a couple nights until we got yeah. enough of the bugs out. <laughs> it, it, that story is great because that story could still play out today except for the gave me a floppy disk part. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So that was one. I remember another one. This was, I think... Um, 
I think we were in Boston for a Macworld Expo and uh, announcing another new big product, and, and we had to do a demo of it, right? And, of course, there were bugs, and everything was coming together at the last minute. And um, I think CompuServe was the, the Internet oh, back yeah, then, right? right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so we needed to transfer the app um, from Portland to Boston the night before this big keynote or whatever it was. And uh, the, the president and I were going to be doing this demo. And he um, and we had to get up at like five in the morning or something like that for it. And he so he went to bed. He called the front desk and he said, you know, give me a wake up call at 5 a.m. So he went to bed probably 10 or 11. Meanwhile, in Portland, they find this critical bug and they fix it and they have to transmit it. And I think Stephen is sharing a room with somebody and they need to call this guy to tell him there's a new version that you have to download. And so they call. It's like two in the morning, I think. Mm. Stephen hears the phone ring and he picks it up. He goes, "Okay, thanks. And he hangs up thinking this is a wake up call. He gets up, takes a shower, puts on his suit, does the whole thing, walks down to the lobby, looks up at the clock, and it's 2 in the morning. <laughs> and he just chewed them a new one at the front desk. And the poor guys, it wasn't their fault. Right, right. I bet. Right. But anyway, he, so when I saw him the next morning at 5 or 6, he looked really bad. <laughs> well, thank you once again to our sponsor, Squarespace. Squarespace is a great place to make a website. It's simple, it's easy, and it's beautiful. I don't know if you've checked it out yet or not. Uh, Hopefully you have, but if you haven't, you'll just be amazed at how gorgeous it is and how easy it is to get started. Absolutely beautiful design. You can't help but make something that looks great. It's wonderful. It's all through drag and drop and all that good kind of stuff. And And it's easy, right? But if you do, for some reason, run into any trouble whatsoever, well, they have 24 by 7 support via live chat and email. So they're always there and they're ready, you know, eager to help you out. Uh, I think that's a wonderful thing. You know, support really differentiates um, great products. I, I love that they offer this level of support. It's fantastic. And a plan starts at only $8 a month. You can get a free trial at first. Check it out first. But after that, it's $8 a month. Includes a free domain name if you sign up for a year. And you can get uh, you can get 10% off if you use the offer code the record. Just go to squarespace.com slash the record and save a little money. And you end up supporting our show too. We appreciate that a lot. Now, if you've done some web development lately, you've probably uh, probably had to do some responsive design. If you've gotten down into the CSS level and done media queries and all that and trying to get your content to flow around properly. I've done just enough of that to say, well, I could be a real mind bender sometimes. Well, Squarespace, they've, they've already done it for you. You've got responsive design. It's, it's, it's just right there. They did it. Yeah, don't, don't worry. It's going to look great on iPhone or iPad or anything else. They got, it, they got it covered. Very cool. Every site comes with an online store as well. So you've got something you, you want to sell, you know, you can make some money. There's that eight, you know, your overhead is what, eight bucks a month? I mean, come on. That's, that's like nothing. Okay, get with that online store. I think that's really, really cool. That stuff is so hard to set up. Sure, it's get, gotten easier over the years, I suppose, but, you know, you just let Squarespace do it for you. They're awesome at it. So you can get a trial right now. Don't even need to give them a credit card for a trial. You can just start working and see how easy it is. Have some fun. And once again, when you do decide that you're going to go with Squarespace, use the offer code THEREcord to get 10% off and show your support for us. So thank you very much to Squarespace for sponsoring this episode of The Record. Uh, Now let's get back to talking with John. So the the, the 90s were some tough years for Apple, of course, and and you're working it now. How, How... how did sales go? I mean, I, it seemed to me as a spectator that now was a successful company mm-hmm. and was uh, doing great in the Mac market. Yeah. Uh, did it move into Windows software or at any time? Yeah. So now was very successful in the early 90s. Then around the mid 90s, you know, there was the mass exodus from Mac to Windows, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, they decided they needed to do that too. Um, now, I left around that time, but they, I know that Dave Riggle 
was negotiating with them on how to get his software onto Windows, and they had to bring in more people, and they were they were trying to use some technology. I can't remember its name, but I think it was actually used at Claris Altura, maybe, or something, mm. where it would actually allow you to take Mac code and recompile it for Windows, oh, or maybe there was a translation layer there yeah, or something. Uh-huh. I don't remember what it was. Um, but anyway, they threw all kinds of money at that, mm-hmm. um, and they were trying to do all kinds of things, and it, you know, the grass was greener on the other side, and they were trying to go in many different directions. And and things went really bad at that point mm-hmm. for that company. I mean, they went through multiple different ownerships. I think Qualcomm acquired them at one time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think that's right. I remember yeah. that. Yeah. Um, I heard that they had tried to reboot now some years ago. Well, right? ironically, they went so full circle practically to now into the early 2000s. Um, there was a company called PowerOn that was one of those contractors um, or uh, developers who now was publishing software for. They had written some mm-hmm. of the utilities and now utilities. And they said, we would like to acquire the now software brand and now up to date in particular. And so I, somehow they negotiated this from Qualcomm or whoever because mm-hmm. it was just dying anyway. So they actually brought it back to life. And so now up to date was still ser- selling in the early 2000s, actually hmm. up until the mid 2000s oh, wow. or even up to th- two or wow, three years no ago, idea. it was still selling, and it was still that original code base that Dave Riggle wrote in 1991. <laughs> wow. wow, no kidding. I mean, and the problem, though, is that they, uh, the new now software, they got stung by the Osborne effect, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the Adam Osborne, for the listeners who don't know it, you know, the Ad- Adam Osborne ha- invented the first portable computer. It was kind of like the compact um, thing that looked like a sewing machine, I believe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Suitcase sewing machine. Yeah, kinda. yeah. and <laughs> yep. uh, they had this very successful first portable computer, and then they started working on the Osborne 2, and they announced it to the world about all these new great things Osborne 2 is going to have, more memory, more this, more that, and uh, their sales of Osborne 1s dried up before they could ship Osborne 2, and they went out of business before they shipped it. And Now Software did exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. The new Now Software, they pre-announced their now up-to-date successor called Nighthawk, which was going to be fantastic. It was going to do all these things. And, you know, time went on and mm-hmm. on where okay. it wasn't available. They even started taking people's money in advance, selling pre- advanced uh, upgrades, oh, yeah. and then they folded. Uh. Uh, so that was that was bad. Okay. Right. And uh, we learned from that lesson, too. I mean, as far as, uh, you know, um, under-promising and over-delivering, mm-hmm. never pre-announcing mm-hmm. your yeah, software. Right. Um, and also just... Don't uh, overextend yourself or spread yourself too thin. You know, just really stay focused. Right. So, um, yeah. So now software did um, ultimately collapse about three years ago, two or three years ago. But okay. it's amazing yeah. that it was still going then. Yeah, yeah. You I know. wouldn't have guessed. Yeah, I had no idea. Uh, yeah. So I left uh, Fairlawn, or excuse me, now software in the mid '90s, and I went to Extensus. Right. And Extensus is actually founded by the same guy who founded now software. His his name was ah. Craig Barnes, right. and he was a very dynamic innovative guy that uh, was really good at growing companies like now software there must have been a hundred employees when i left hmm. um all venture funded you wow. know and same thing with extensus we went through this rapid rise i was like the eighth employee and when i left there was about a hundred and in fact um this was like right before the dot-com collapse the, the bubble um they were trying to go public Believe oh, really? it or not, Extensus. Okay. Yeah. Wow, so Extensus yeah. was doing um, plugins for Photoshop and mm-hmm. Quark Express and Adobe PageMaker. Yeah, yeah. The first product was an Adobe PageMaker plugin. Yeah. And then uh, didn't they had one of the font managers too? That That's, was well, nice. they acquired a Fetch from Adobe. That, okay. Uh, which became Portfolio. Oh, was that maybe when Adobe and uh, had uh, Aldis. Aldis merged? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we acquired it was from Aldis that we acquired yep. Fetch or slash Portfolio, mm-hmm. and then they acquired the font. Thing from somebody else. I can't remember who that yeah. was. Um, but basically, we were selling tools for creative professionals, you know, and we were kind of filling the holes that uh, were left by the, the large vendors, Adobe and Quark and um, so forth, in their apps. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of an interesting business model because um, basically, if there was a flaw in Photoshop, you know, they would race the market to provide a little utility that solved that problem. But you, we knew that the next version of Photoshop was going to have that feature, you know. So we were, had to constantly stay one step ahead of the steamroller. Oh yeah, right. So it was challenging in that regard. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And that was um, what was that? Mid '90s to late '90s. So 
that was right when the internet was just coming, the web was coming about. And so there was that transition starting to take place from shrink wrapped. There was, mail order was really popular back then. Mm-hmm. Mac yeah. Warehouse and Mac. Oh, the catalogs. Mac catalog catalog every day. Uh-huh. Yeah. So we did a lot of volume through those channels. And then we started selling stuff direct over the internet, but it was really in its infancy. Right. But it was pretty intriguing, you know. I got to think at Extensus, even though they were cross-platform, was still selling a lot of Mac software because of the publishing industry that was still hanging yeah. on, right? It was initially all Mac, uh, and then we started doing Windows. And it, it was um, it was all, always a majority of Mac. But Windows mm-hmm. was pretty big. It kind of depended on the app. Like yeah. PageMaker was pretty strong on Windows. Yeah, exactly, you know? yeah. Uh, Photoshop, not as much. Yeah. Um, and the end of PageMaker's life, as much. it became just a Windows app, actually. What they did? quit doing PageMaker. PageMaker. They yeah. quit making the Mac oh, really? version and, and then they just did some Windows updates for the very last revs on uh, PageMaker. Interesting. And this was under Adobe's care under by Adobe. this point, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. So that was a lot of fun. Really enjoyed Extensus. Mm-hmm. It was just a very dynamic environment. Um, went through you know tremendous growth but it was all very much heavily venture funded we were always growing revenue but we were never making a profit mm, in the process mm-hmm. uh-huh. and uh, we the company came close to going public I can remember we were giving presentations to underwriters wow. and stuff and this was right before things really went south mm-hmm. yeah. in the whole market but uh, it was exciting wow that, I wouldn't have guessed that Extensus had uh, plans to go public that's pretty Craig had van- yeah. uh, grand aspirations yeah. I mean he wanted to be bigger than Adobe yeah uh, yeah <laughs> now great, Extensus though, yeah. is still around right like even today they're still yeah they kind of um, I think they've broken up into parts I think um, Extensus which kept that brand is I think doing the portfolio mm, and okay. the fonts and then another guy a different Craig Craig Cudell who was the head of sales at the time when I was there, he started a new company called On One Software, and they took over the plugin business. Okay. They bought that from, from okay. Extensus. So they're still doing those plugins. Huh. Yeah. And um, this was 1999, I think, when I left Extensus, and I went to work at, at Adobe. That's right. when that, that was when my wife was really happy because we finally made it up to Seattle. Okay, so that was, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... Uh, Prior to us starting this podcast, Chris and I were trying to wonder, remember if we'd actually even met each other because we were working on the same team at Adobe, yeah. close or close to it. Yeah, the InDesign uh, team was big. I mean, by that time it was inflating, and uh, mm-hmm. they were throwing everyone on it. So everyone from PageMaker, plus they were hiring like crazy uh, mm-hmm. in all the different departments. QA was getting bigger, engineering was getting bigger. People were fleeing from Quark to come work for Adobe. Uh, yeah. So and, and Apple too, because Apple was having problems. Then we got several. We talked uh, before oh, yeah. about OpenDoc. And uh, we had people from the OpenDoc team oh, that sure, ended up yeah. on. Interesting. On, uh, well, Apple, if I recall, was desperate at this time because they wanted, they were coming out with OS X. It was close yeah. to OS X, yeah. right? Yeah, cause, and Quark was yeah. probably dragging their heels. Oh, yeah. That on, was a big And so they desperately needed mm-hmm. a PageMaker or InDesign, actually, right. or any Adobe apps to be yeah. on OS X. Yep. Yeah, during that time, uh, Apple was courting Adobe quite a bit uh, and, and making sure that uh, we. We had a lab in Seattle there, and we always had the secret hardware and, and new versions of the operating system and things mm-hmm. to uh, to keep stuff going. So they were definitely interested back in those days. In fact, in the early versions of OS X, who knows, probably continues to be the case, but um, there would be uh, places in the operating system that would look at the name of the process that was running, and if it were Photoshop or InDesign, it would have some certain APIs is more on the carbon side of things mm. uh, behave differently to ensure compatibility with those because they're whatever I don't know how the yeah. political sides of when I was never a part of that but you know like like we're not going to change that and then uh, it'd be like oh okay we'll patch that in for, <laughs> for this app so that that bug goes away you know this stuff e- even yep. exists in AppKit yeah where exactly there are special yeah. cases yeah for there's just got to be yeah. right you know mm-hmm. at some point that you can't deal with it all without doing that mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm I confess that there, I don't know if it still exists, but there was a special case for some version of Net Newswire in mm-hmm. in AppKit, probably in the NS Table View or something like that. Right. I, I can't remember. I screwed something up, but they didn't want it to break. So. <laughs> That's very nice of them. Mm. Yep. So, what was your primary role at Extensus? Were you doing uh, I was product the VP management? Of marketing or VP at that of marketing. Point, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But uh, product management was the, the primary yep. stuff. That okay. We did. Yeah. Excellent. So yeah, when I came to Adobe, I was actually the group product manager for InDesign. Mm-hmm. The the guy that had been leading PageMaker and InDesign for probably twenty years had left. Yep. 
and they had a hole to fill. And a friend of mine actually was the new GM or something like that of Adobe, and he, he recruited me. And and so I came in, and I, and it was a real eye-opening experience for me because every company I'd worked for before that was a startup. You know, started out with eight or ten people, mm-hmm. and when it got to be big, which was for me a hundred people, I had one foot out the door. Right. And mm-hmm. so now here I am at Adobe, where there's thousands of yeah. employees, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and the Seattle office was kind of the ugly redheaded stepchild oh, of yeah. Adobe Proper, yeah. which was in San Jose. They just acquired all this, right? Yep. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was kind of like the Office Space movie for me. That's kind of <laughs> 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 what it felt like. And so I only lasted six months yep. before I had to get out of there, uh, unfortunately. And the Seattle office was way less corporate than... The San Jose. I know. Offices, I'm just right? not cut out for corporate like, America. I remember the first time I visited the San Jose offices, I was like, "Wow, this is a different company. Like, yeah. <laughs> this, they're they're a little uptight here." Yeah, I mean, this is not anything yeah. against Adobe. Yeah. It'd be any company with yeah. more than 100 oh, yeah. employees. Mm-hmm. I would just have a hard time. Yeah. Um, so I didn't stay long. I walked across the street, ironically, uh, to Getty Images. Oh yeah. Because um, mm-hmm. uh, I was intrigued about what was going on with the internet, and they were like kind of pioneering what you could do through selling bits. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they had acquired uh, Photodisc, which was the first right. ones to sell stock photography online, mm-hmm. which is just an incredible business model. I mean, you could go and you could go to the web and you could search for the picture you want, click a button, download the bits, pay yep. your money. Yeah. No cost of goods, really. I mean, no shipping and handling yeah, and all yeah. that. It was pretty, pretty innovative. And so I worked on a, a portal site there called Getty One where they were trying to mm. combine all these brands. I mean, basically, they were in the process of acquiring, acquiring every stock right? photography agency out right. there mm-hmm. um, and uh, trying to bring them into this portal and make everything digital. And uh, I did that for a year, and that that I enjoyed. And it was a big company, too, not as big as Adobe, mm-hmm. uh, but um, still too big for, for my tastes. And I was getting the itch to start my own company at that point. Right. Um, and the opportunity seemed right. I thought because the stock market was going up, 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 up. Mm-hmm. And so right. I left and started a new company at that point. Probably, I don't know, within 12 months, maybe within six months of the, the market just collapsing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Which kind of affected, you know, um, my business plan going forward oh, after bet. that. Yeah. Um, and that company that I, I started then, this was now 2001, was Splash Data. And so at this time, um, the Palm was really hot. So right. this was the first real popular handheld device, mm-hmm. and it was being merged with the phone. Handspring was the one that was kind of pioneering that. I owned a couple handspring visors yeah, I did myself. Too. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And so it was right. I don't, you know, probably the handspring may not even have been invented yet. I think the Palm 7 was the hot thing at that point. Mm-hmm. It was the yeah. first Palm with like an antenna on it mm-hmm. with wireless communication. I thought, wow, this yeah. is it. This is yeah. the wave of the future. I'm going to go build Palm software. So that's what I set out to do was build, build Palm software. And uh, so I, uh, I started with a couple of guys. Uh, Ray Marshall was the co-founder, and he was a guy I worked with at um, at Extensus. So he's still in Portland. Um, he's doing iPhone software now. Oh, cool. Uh, <laughs> but he was he was the co-founder, and a little later we brought in Dave Riggle, who was the guy I originally worked with in 1991 at Now Software. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started out doing Palm software, and um, we actually were quite successful. It was, it was you know, a very small market, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was all indie developers. And the leading sellers back then were these portal sites called uh, Palm Gear and Handango. They were like the, the app stores back then, uh-huh. mm-hmm. third-party okay. app stores. Um, and we very quickly developed a product line of about four products. Um, Splash Photo was our first one. It was a photo viewer. And we did Splash Money think, which was a little money manager, mm-hmm. and Splash ID, which was basically a password keeper. Um, mm. That became our most popular product, and Splash Shopper, a shopping list app. We sold them all together in a suite called Splash Wallet, and uh, it, it did really well. The mistake we made in, in retrospect was like, if it had just remained me and Ray and Dave, and we just did Palm Software, it would have been great, at least for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But you know the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, right, Windows sure. Mobile is coming. Uh-huh. You know, Symbian's going to be super popular. 
So we decided we had to do those platforms too. Mm. And so we had to bring in more people. And uh, so we were now, uh, over time, we got to the point where we were developing for three mobile platforms, Palm, Windows Mobile, and Symbian. We had seven employees, every one of them in a different location working from their homes in three yeah. different states. At least we were all in the same time zone. It was yeah. all oh, yeah. Helps, yeah. Washington, Oregon, and California. Right. Um, and I had a dozen phones because I had to test everything, <laughs> uh-huh. you know? And it's like, it's probably what it's like for a lot of developers who do Android development today because yeah. they all had different form factors and there was different wireless carriers and the requirements and everything. And it was just a major pain mm-hmm. in the ass. I mean, just to keep all my phones charged was a pain in the ass. <laughs> you know, and you, they all had wireless contracts and stuff. And it really just sucked all the fun out of having of doing mobile software, just sure. testing on all those devices mm-hmm. and, and keeping up with the changes. Um, and so, you know, as time went on, still 80% of our software was coming from the Palm, mm-hmm. which is why I say in retrospect, we would have been better off just sticking, sure, sticking yeah. with the Palm. Um, but, and the other really bummer thing in retrospect was uh, we did a new product towards the end there, which was really innovative. It was called Splash Blog. And it allowed you to take a picture on your mobile phone and share it with other people and sync it with other people through the web. Oh, nice. A la Instagram. Yeah. I mean, it was Instagram yeah, yeah. 10 years ago. Right. <laughs> we did not sell it for a billion dollars. But it was a really cool app, actually. It took advantage of the, it, at the time, which was totally new, and all the uh, the cameras and the wireless mm-hmm. communication on right. those devices. Because this was still before the iPhone, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and, and we did that. But by 2006 timeframe, um, I was burned out on doing mobile software. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't want to do it anymore. Um, and at the time, there was a, another guy uh, who wanted to do mobile software and he actually ended up selling the company to him and he kept the brand and he kept the products and kept mm-hmm. them going. There were actually two companies that we sold out to. So one was the guy who just basically acquired all the apps and the and the brand, but no employees, mm-hmm. except like one tech support guy. Um, and then the rest of us, the, the, the Splash Blog technology, the IP, we sold to a company called Six Apart, which was the makers of movable type mm-hmm. and TypePad stuff and there was an aqua hire there as well so a number of us went to work for for six apart at mm-hmm. that point unfortunately they didn't do any anything with splash blog really so that product is gone um and i think i only had like a six month um oh uh, requirement yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> sure. yeah. that before i was able to leave, it's easy so. to sit on your hands for six months <laughs> yeah well we should take a little break right here and thank our sponsor Microsoft Azure Mobile Services. Now, if you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that they used to be called Windows Azure Mobile Services. Now it's Microsoft Azure. And that name change makes sense because really, it doesn't have that much to do with Windows. Sure, if you're a person using Windows as a developer in Visual Studio and stuff, you can use that with these services, great. But if you're a Mac guy like me, I'm writing my code in BBEdit using um, plain old Mac terminal, using Safari as my browser, um, using open source tools like uh, Git and um, Mercurial and things of that nature, Mocha. If you're a Mac guy like me, hey, it works great too. There's nothing Windowsy about it. It's just really great cloud services. And so if you're writing an iOS app or a Mac app and you find that you need to uh, you need to do some syncing for your app, or maybe you need to provide some kind of web services. And maybe you haven't done this before. Maybe it's been a long time and you want an easy way to get started. Well, I highly recommend checking out Microsoft Azure Mobile Services. It's got a really nice uh, browser-based UI to get started with, and you can learn the basics really quickly. I did them in like two days. Really simple. And after that, you'll find that it's pretty deep. You don't, you're not limited to the browser. You can uh, uh, bust out of the browser and start using a text editor and uh, your favorite source control management system. And, and you know, of course, you're writing all your code in JavaScript. It's running Node.js. And you'll never, never even have to think of the word Windows even once. And you'll be really glad because the service is, is fantastic, no matter what its name is. Uh, so please check out 
www.windowsazure.com slash iOS. Well, okay, I think they perhaps haven't changed all the domain names yet. So it's still windowsazure.com, at least for the moment. But yeah, www.windowsazure.com slash iOS. And you'll see me there with some video tutorials on how to get started. It's cool. Anyway, let's get back to John Chafee. As soon as um, that was up, I, I set off to start my next company, which was Busy Mac. Um, and the ironic thing is, so I had done mobile software. Busy Mac was founded around January of 2007, which <laughs> was the date <laughs> the iPhone yeah. was introduced. Yeah. But I had no interest in developing iPhone software. You've just uh, been doing it for years. Yeah, You're done. Yeah, uh -huh. been there, done that. Software. And I was actually longing to go back to do Mac software uh -huh. yeah. uh, because I had, during that exodus from Mac to Windows, um, all the companies I went to work for, or not, I, or companies I was working for at the time, they were making those changes internally as well. So I actually did end up using Windows for like a mm. five-year period of time, mm. and I was anxious to get back on the Mac. Yeah, um, and so. For me, in 2007, it was returning to our roots, basically. Um, and we'll have to talk about this at the next podcast because now it's post-iPhone. Mm -hmm. post right. But basically, it was Dave Riggle and I returning to our roots of 1991 and doing a calendar app for the Mac. Yeah. So what, what made you think that the Mac was a place there would be enough market to succeed as an independent yeah. software developer on it? Well, I think one of the things that attracts me to the Mac market is that it's not big. So... Mm -hmm. Although it's not growing, it's not really shrinking either. It's always mm -hmm. very steady, right. right? And it's not big enough to attract really big competitors. Mm -hmm. I think the iPhone is actually helping to bring bigger competitors to the Mac because yeah. you have to use the Mac as your development right, environment right. and stuff. Right. But for the most part, um, the Mac is one of the few places where indies, I think, can make it a decent mm -hmm. living. I mean, as long as you have your – you keep things in perspective. I mean – my current company is two people, and we don't have grand desires to grow it. You know, we're right. really trying to run it more or less as a lifestyle company where it's like, right. let's just do what we can. Let's just keep it simple and 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 not overextend ourselves. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. And, and uh, we're a single product company, and we don't really – and we have enough to keep us busy for years and years to right. come. Half of it is just sprinting to stay in place with all – all the changes. Mm -hmm. I like that you enshrined in the name of the company, Busy Mac. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you know, we're not going to start making Windows software or whatever. It's like, it's Busy Mac. Yep. Yeah. And a lot of that is Dave. Dave yeah. is a Mac guy. He's only developed uh -huh. on the Mac. He has no interest in learning Windows, and I don't blame him. Yeah, and I, and him. more power to him right. and us. I'm happy to just be Mac only. Uh, now, there are some wrinkles with that name, though, right? Uh, <laughs> getting, getting Mac in the title. <laughs> yeah. It was not a problem until the Mac App Store came uh -huh. along. Yeah, for yeah. us to get onto the Mac App Store, we violated one of the clauses in the contract because the word Mac appeared in the name of the company. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So we actually had to re—we had to change our company name to BusyCal LLC, um, but we're still doing business as Busy Mac. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Take that. As far as Apple's concerned, we're BusyCal right. LLC. Right. <laughs> so you were talking about competition. Um, one thing that's interesting, though, is you know you're making a calendar app, which is. Mm -hmm competition with Apple in some sense, right? Yeah, like, do yeah. you ever worry about Apple steamrolling you? And uh... Well, not really. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm worried about Apple, I mean, and Google. Mm -hmm. And it's not so much about um, iCal competing with us. It's more about um, upstream change, our server mm -hmm. changes. Mm -hmm. Like right now for BusyCal to be successful, we have to sync with iCloud. And if Apple wanted to, they could flick a switch someday and say, we're only going to allow Apple clients to connect to yeah, iCloud. Mm -hmm. right, that would be right. bad. Yeah. Um, but as far as iCal is concerned, I'm not too concerned because if you look at it from Apple's perspective, iCal is not important to them. Right. I mean, you can tell by looking at sure. it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's been around for 10 years. They may have interns working on it for all I know, right. but there's mm -hmm. not a lot of innovation happening there because they've got bigger fish to fry. Right. I mean, look at the size of their business on the Mac hardware side is 10%, right? Yeah. And their software mm -hmm. is a fraction of that. And it's like, it's a checklist item for them. They have right. a built-in calendar. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm not too worried about that because, you know, 
since all we do is focus on the, the calendar app, you know, and I've always been in a business where we're always trying to stay one step ahead of the steamroller, mm-hmm. you know, we can be agile and, and, and do that right. as long as it's, it's all we're doing. So um, not, not too worried. I mean, every year around this time, WWDC is coming up. They're going to show a preview of the next cat, you know, mm-hmm. OS 10, 10.9. And the first thing we're going to do is look at iCal and figure out what they added so that we can scramble to, to do it. Right, too. right. Yeah, seems reasonable. I remember uh, in the old days, I used to get very nervous right before the keynotes um, Yeah. Uh, when I was doing NetNewsWire. And Apple had not added RSS to the system in any mm-hmm. way. Just like, this will be the year that, you know. And uh, they finally announced RSS in Safari. And I yeah. was partly relieved and partly wondering if I was stupid to be relieved and should have been frightened instead. Yeah. <laughs> Turned out I was fine, but still. That's very typical though. Yeah. You know, it's almost like Apple's validating what you're doing. Sure. And the yeah. implementation that they include is going to be very limited in scope, yeah. right? And so for people who are passionate about it, which is the ones you're primarily selling to, there's still a ton of opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with how many millions of, of Mac users, you only need to sell to some you know, small percentage to you make know, a lot of mm-hmm. damn money. I was right? just looking at that today on my calculator. I said, mm-hmm. okay, they sold 4 million Macs last quarter, right? Mm-hmm. A tenth of 1% of that would be like 4,000, I think, mm-hmm. if I did my math right. I'd be happy selling 4,000 yeah, copies right? of our software every quarter. That, sure. That'd yeah. keep me in business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about changes from Google? There's been some of that recently that yeah. oh, yeah, made they were things turning difficult. Off, uh, Caldav. Yeah, those are the two I worry about: mm-hmm. is Apple's yeah. iCloud service and Google. And uh, so, yes, there's constant changes there. Um, at the same time that Google announced they're shutting off their Google Reader RSS service, they were also going to sh- be shutting down Caldav access to right to Google Calendar. And and that's how we communicate with Google Calendars via Caldav. Mm-hmm. Um, Fortunately, I had just met uh, some of the people on the Google um, CalDev team prior to that, and I was able to send a, send them an email to find out, you know, what's the skinny here? You know, how can we get added to that whitelist? And they required us to make a few changes, um, which we implemented right away. Mm-hmm. It's in beta right now, actually, mm-hmm. and um, we're about to release an update to BusyCal that is uh, whitelisted or mm-hmm. it will work mm-hmm. after the shutdown right. of Google Calendar. Are they doing Calendar. that also in July? Is that the, yeah. so in synchronous? I mean, the ironic thing is, is that um, what a lot of people don't realize, and I think, Brent, you might have mentioned this recently on your blog, is that iCal communicates with Google via right. CalDAV, mm-hmm. and so does the iPhone. Mm-hmm. So um, I've been <laughs> looking at, you know, I've been watching the seeds, you know, from Apple uh-huh. to see has iCal changed how right. th- they're communicating with Google, right. and I don't see any changes. Yeah, um, and I could see the pissing match going on there, right? Mm-hmm. No, we're not going to change it, but um, it would be crazy, I think, for Google to shut off iCal from Seems Google like Cal- and the iPhone. Yeah, I would think so. so. I'm yeah. sure they're going to somehow make an exception for them. Right. But if they do that, that's I, a I, huge I, exception. Yeah. Right. right. Why? But it's What's just the like point, what you right? were talking about, mm-hmm. right? With the uh, <laughs> with the carbon stuff yeah, that yeah. they had to make exceptions yeah, right. for, yeah, right? Yeah. But I wonder how they'll police it though, because if right. they're saying we're going to shut down CalDAV access to all third-party apps, how th- will they differentiate iCal from a third party? Mm-hmm. Well, they could do it by the agent, right? Mm-hmm. But right. what's going to stop a third party from saying I'm iCal? Yeah. Nothing. So I don't know, but that's Google's problem. Right. All I really care about is that we have been officially approved and we'll be doing it the, the, the approved way. So oh, it's right. okay. okay. Our customers will be okay. <laughs> yeah, right. that's the important part. Yeah, it is hard to explain to customers. Well, our upstream provider changed their APIs and now, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this change though is, it's very common for us because I was looking at... Um, kind of the milestones since we released uh, BusyCal. When we released the first version, um, Apple's cloud service at the time was the old mobile me, Mm -hmm. Um, meaning it was all done through sync services. And then they came out with the new mobile me, which was using a CalDAV protocol uh, for for doing the syncing. So we had to do a major rewrite to support the new mobile me. That took, you know, six months or whatever, and we released that update for free. And then a year later, MobileMe became iCloud. And now it's iCloud Caldev. Another major rewrite. Actually, that one wasn't as major, but it was, you know, a significant mm-hmm. amount of work and another free update, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it was really three years went by before we 
released a, a major upgrade to BusyCal that included new features versus just keeping <laughs> just keep wow. the changes yes. in the underlying te technology or the servers. So, You've done several kind of entrepreneurial ventures, software. A lot of them have been involved with Apple, and Apple has changed a lot in that time period. Do you think it's better for people in your position uh, worse? Is it is it a good time to be an entrepreneur on their platforms? Are they making it harder for you to do these things? Hmm. I think things have always been this way mm -hmm. with Apple. It, it varies, right? So I can remember um, in the early 90s when Apple was super successful, they thought their shit didn't stink. Mm -hmm. and, they were, and they made life difficult for developers. And then they almost went out of business uh -huh. in the late 90s, right? Uh -huh. And they kind of changed their attitude. And they became more friendly towards developers and and uh, and everybody, really. And now they're kind of in that mode again where their shit doesn't stink, right? But, mm. um, you know, it's just cycles you go through. <laughs> you yeah, take the good yeah. with the bad. Right. Um, we've, we try really hard not to um, swim against the mm -hmm. upstream, you know, like... I don't know, we're supposed to be talking about pre-iPhone, but, uh, you know, we're, the Mac App Store is, the App Store and the Mac App Store are the big deals mm -hmm. right now, right? Mm -hmm. We are Mac App Store only. Um, and we're doing that just because we're trying to conform. You know, we want to do things Apple's way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We want to simplify things for our customers uh, and for us, if possible. Sure, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, with that comes a whole lot of negatives. You know, the Mac App Store has some major problems with it that we're really hoping Apple will fix, but mm -hmm. you know, right. it could be wishful thinking. But, um, you know, and the sandboxing requirements mm -hmm. and all that stuff, you know, we, we're, we're complying with all that stuff, even though we may not agree with it. Um, but sometimes you just gotta bend over and take it. You know? <laughs> has, has the Mac App Store's launch seen more business for you? Do you see more sales because of it? I think we see more sales uh, through the Mac App Store, but we don't see more revenue. Okay. Um, you know, maybe we could have a follow-on discussion about this right. in the future because I'm, we're, we're, you know, it's still early for us and mm -hmm. we're doing some experimentation with pricing and stuff. Right, but, right. Because there's a lot of discussion out there about, um, you know, the Mac App Store and the race to the bottom of prices. I mean, in many respects, it is kind of like a JCPenney's, mm -hmm. which is funny. Mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. yeah. Um, and sad. Yeah. You know, it, yeah, I mean, it is a great tool for customers to be able to find and discover stuff and makes it so easy to install on all your, on your, all your Macs and devices. Um, but there's, it's so hard to rise above the fold, mm -hmm. um, you know, bubble to the top on the platform unless you're doing promotions or pricing it really cheap and, right you know you got to find that perfect balance right um and that's also one of the reasons why i prefer doing mac versus iphone because i mean it's really brutal in the iphone business because mm -hmm. 99 cents is the norm right. right yeah you know on the mac you can probably get away with 50 bucks you mm -hmm. can certainly get away with 20 or 30 mm -hmm. right it's mm -hmm. rare that you'd have to drop way below that um right and and here we are at, at Omni, the poster child for right. maybe actually charging enough yeah. uh, for Mac <laughs> software, right. but, but most other companies are struggling in yeah. comparison. Yeah. Right. You know, something that just occurred to me uh, going back a little bit, over the years, uh, I've seen you at Macworld several times, and uh, you were talking about, uh, I think you said Macworld was one of the events you were at at Farallon, right? So yeah. you've been there for Macworld since the, the inception and, yeah. and to now. Um, what do you think about that, how the trade shows changed so much and, and what it is yeah. today versus what it was in those early days? And yeah. I have fond memories of Macworld going back yeah, to the early 90s. Yeah. I've probably been to almost every single one, you know. And back in the early days, there was two a year, one in San Francisco right. in January and one in Boston in, like, mm -hmm. August or something like that. Um, and it was huge back then because that was, again, pre-internet days, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and then when that big change took place, when Apple pulled out about five years ago or somewhere in that time frame, mm -hmm. things really changed. But I'm still a strong advocate of Macworld. Yeah. I still like going to those shows. It's mm -hmm. the one time a year, and we just get a little kiosk. You know, it's a one-man right. booth, you right. know, or one or two men. 
But it's the one time of year where I actually get to meet with our customers face to face and find mm-hmm. out what yep. what these people are really like. And it's it's very eye opening because you know we're so used to Twitter and you know mm-hmm. and, and being able to go into the shell to type in you know <laughs> terminal <laughs> commands and so mm-hmm. forth. But the average Joe out there, you know, particularly when it comes to our app, which involves a lot of syncing and syncing with devices and cloud services, they have not got a clue as to mm-hmm. how all this stuff works. They just right, want to sure. check check boxes and, and cross their fingers. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's very enlightening to meet them and understand what the problems are that they're they're facing and help them try to solve it. And it's also a really great opportunity to meet all the press. Um, yeah. You know, oh, for sure. And to see fellow developers. Yep. You yep. Know? So I really love Macworld. And I, I and the show has survived and it's much smaller now, but um all the attendees that are there are there to see the third-party developers. Right. It's not Apple anymore, so they're mm-hmm. they're very well qualified. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. I feel like you know <clears throat> I've exhibited things a couple times, and I never felt like it led to a lot of sales. But I think that that process of being in person with potential users and actual users of your applications is super valuable. And yeah. it's, it, I can totally agree that it's worth it to do it just for that. It's harder on the iPhone stuff too. Yeah, you got right? this tiny little screen that people yeah. are trying to see. It's yeah. much easier to develop Mac, yep. to just, uh, demo Mac software in that environment. Cause right. you can do it on a big 27 inch mm-hmm. monitor mm-hmm. and blow up the pixels and exactly. everybody can see it. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, you know, I guess if I were to do it again, I'd probably use AirPlay at this point yeah, and uh, definitely. bring a little um, Apple TV yeah. and, mm-hmm. and get a nice big screen to do that with. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that you were passionate about uh, calendaring. Yeah, and I just uh, you know everyone's got different passions. I just wondered how how that came to be. If there's a, a story behind that, or if you were just yeah, actually, naturally drawn that way. Now, before um, I went to work at Now Software, and I was working at uh, Farallon, um, I was uh, doing a lot of travel because I was doing sales, and I had to manage my schedule. And I had developed a FileMaker database for doing scheduling. FileMaker, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> FileMaker was yeah. the solution to every problem. Yeah. 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 I'm just one of those anal retentive types that, you know, um, are always, I'm always managing my schedule. So I don't know. It's always appealed to me. Mm -hmm. And I think our app appeals to customers like me. Mm -hmm. Uh Okay. You know, so, um, just one of those type A personalities. Right. Yeah. Right. I resisted using a calendar at all until way past when I should have. Did the same. I must have been in my late 30s before mm-hmm. I even started using a, a calendar. <laughs> That's probably fairly typical. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. In fact, Dave, the guy who wrote BusyCal and now up to date before it, his calendar is so sparse it's ridiculous. He didn't <laughs> write it because he was passionate about calendars, but he, <laughs> right. he probably thought it would be a neat programming challenge. Yeah, sure. You know? yeah. Ooh, I'm going to figure out how to make these things network over the land. And, mm-hmm. yeah, right. and Dave has some pretty interesting credentials when he was um, – a graduate student or maybe an undergraduate student at Berkeley. He was one of four authors who wrote the first Unix implementation of the domain naming system. Oh, wow. It's it's awesome. And so he understands that kind of networking Uh stuff. Sure, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, and a calendar is nothing without networking. It's not nothing. But But ironically, you know, when we released our first app, which was BusySync, which was a predecessor to BusyCal, mm-hmm. and it was actually an add-on to iCal. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, it was ran in the background transparently, and it basically added calendar sharing to iCal. Mm-hmm. And our, our ultimate goal was to develop BusyCal, but we knew it was going to take us several years to get there, so we kind of staged it. Mm-hmm. And we added this calendar sharing <clears throat> to iCal to sync over the LAN. People loved it, and it it's, did very well for us. And then um, Apple in the new mobile me added the ability, which was the CalDev server, mm-hmm. to do calendar sharing. And Google also added mm-hmm. it, you know, sometime right. later, right? And so now we're to the point where calendar sharing is ubiquitous. It's, it's kind of a commodity at this point. Right. And, it's, sure, yeah. and so we've had to change our positioning over time, too, to mm-hmm. because our real strength or core focus in the beginning was calendar sharing. And now we're just more a, a better productivity tool for using right. your calendar sure. mm-hmm. because the sharing comes for free, more or less through the services. In the process from now up to date to BusyCal, did you get to like uh, take care of any pet peeves that like you wish, you know, from what now up to date was? Like, like was there anything like, ah, I always wanted to make that different and, and yeah. you did it and, hey, you could and start BusyCal. Over and do it right. right? Yeah. Yeah. 
That's a good question. You know, probably what I wanted back in those days, which is what I was just talking about today, is having a server in in Mm -hmm. a cloud service that I could access from all my devices in different locations. Yeah. Which you couldn't do, you know, mm-hmm. very easily anyway oh, through yeah. local area networking. Yeah, I mean, if you had a Palm or one of those devices, you were syncing it with a cable, right? And That's the, right. And yeah. trying to keep it up to date on your desktop. So. Yeah. God, I remember that horrible Palm syncing app. Mm hmm. Oh, geez. What was it? Hot sync. Hot sync. That yeah. was it. Oh, God. Yeah. I feel it was like. so horrible. I just like, I never synced stuff. I'm like, either the stuff's going to live here or it's going to live there. And I didn't ever want to sync. I feel like there was some, wasn't there some way it plugged into Apple's sync thing? Uh, mm-hmm. iSync. iSync yeah, at some point. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I went through all that pain yeah, at one point yeah. to try to make it work, and it was just terrible. Oh, man. Don't get me started on sync services. Because <laughs> uh, that's how we used to sync with Apple. Right, with yeah, iPad, yeah. Was yeah. And that services. went through iSync, didn't it? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. unfortunately, uh, well, first of all, sync services was pretty nice, robust service. Mm-hmm. But the problem with it is that it was garbage in, garbage out. And so mm-hmm. if you had a rogue client that didn't oh. know what they were doing, mm-hmm. it was like being built on a house of cards and it affected mm-hmm. all the Just clients. All, so yeah. if you like plugged in your BlackBerry into the thing and their sync client, you know, put crap into the database, yeah. it went to iCal and it went to BusyCal and it went uh, everywhere uh, and no. you were host. So, so we were very happy to see that go yep. away actually yeah. um so you know with our latest version of busy we no longer support sync services because apple's has deprecated it. right mm-hmm. you're lucky in a way that there's a there's an existing standard caldav for the type of stuff you sync where yep. many other developers are like well maybe this magical core data syncing will sync my <laughs> thing you know it's they funny have to i hear all the worst stories yeah. about icloud um and they're all negative as far as the icloud uh, data syncing or mm-hmm. the key, key mm-hmm. value storage stuff and um Fortunate for us, uh, the CalDAV syncing is, is very robust. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think right. it's pretty clear that iCloud on the back end is several different things all sure, yeah. cobbled mm-hmm. together under the iCloud banner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and fortunately for us, you know, the, the CalDAV protocol we're using to sync with iCloud is also what we use to sync with Google. Nice. So there are some significant differences between the two. Google's implementation is very old. Mm-hmm. Crufty, crusty. Yeah. <laughs> but I, iCloud is actually very modern and constantly changing, so oh, it's nice. good. And then there's a number of third-party services that support CalDAV. Mm-hmm. The one big thing that we currently do not support is exchange syncing. But oh, we're okay. actually working on that now and actually hope to have it in beta pretty soon. Oh, cool. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Is that uh, is that an open sort of protocol? Or do you have to reverse engineer that? or I don't. Well, I think, you know, I don't know if it's it's it's... It's not open source, right? Mm-hmm. But the protocols are published. Okay. I believe I know Dave's working his way through like a fourteen hundred page book that oh, documents oh it. <laughs> um, now, App or Microsoft will license you at Active Sync, uh, which allows you to sync uh, a, a yeah. mobile device with with an Exchange server, but you have to pay for that. I see. Mm-hmm. On the desktop, you can use the um, Exchange EWS. I think it is Exchange Wireless Web Services. Okay. I think that's okay. what it stands for. And that there's no licensing fee for that, and any Exchange Web Services client can talk to an Exchange server if you know how. Mm-hmm. Anything we haven't asked you about that? Yeah. Oh, I should tell this story or whatever. I think we covered a little bit of it, but when I, uh, we have like these founding tenants um, with BusyMac, where <clears throat> when Dave and I set out and informed the company, we had learned some lessons from Splash Data. And from now, software mm-hmm. and every other company we work for, where it's like, <clears throat> we're not gonna, we're not gonna take on venture funding. We're not gonna try to build this really fast and flip it. Mm-hmm. We're we're gonna resist hiring any employees if we can, and just try to keep it small and manageable and profitable. Mm-hmm. And we want to do this for the rest of our lives until we retire. So we're gonna we're gonna do this for twenty years. Let's pace ourselves. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, nice. Yeah, mm-hmm. we're still working really hard. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the nice things about being an indie developer is you have a, amazing flexibility in your schedule. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, I can take a break in the middle of the day and go to the gym or play tennis if the if the weather's good, right? Because I know I can make up those hours in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you right. know, the work's still going to be there, right? Yeah, and I'm the only one who's going to be able to do mm-hmm. it, so it's gonna I'm going to have to do it. Mm-hmm. But I do have a, a lot of flexibility in my schedule. I get to see my kids because I'm working out of my home. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm in, in total control. There's a lot of rewarding things about it being an indie developer. 
um, there's a lot of negatives too, as far as job security is mm-hmm. concerned, you know, and, and, um, you know, uncertainty about getting crushed by a competitor coming, you know, blindsiding oh, sure, you right. and so mm-hmm. forth. Although when you think about it, it's not, it's not any worse. It's, or as bad as being an employee where one day you could show up to yep. work and your boss could say, sorry, mm-hmm. we have to let you go. Oh, Here's sure. two yeah. weeks pay. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least right. as an indie developer, if things are bad, you can see it. Right. Coming, and at least right? you can yeah. make an effect. Yeah. 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 Right? Yeah. I mean, I imagine that BlackBerry people thought that they had some security. I don't know if BlackBerry exactly. is in the middle of layoffs. I mean, I don't know, but you can see that their business is shrinking. And so even if you're huge, you're not yep. insulated mm-hmm. from being blindsided. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. But you know, it does take a certain mentality because, um, you know, you can't take vacations, really. You know, mm-hmm. I, it's hard. It's, you know, for mm-hmm. us, we get a ton of tech support email, you know, because the nature of syncing is complicated. Right. And people need help. And that never stops. It's 24-7. Sure. Um, so, and the more successful you are, the more of that there is. Right. Yeah. Which plays into our pricing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. you go back to the Mac apps where it's like, well, we could – we could price this for 10 bucks and sell to zillions of them. Sure. Well, we hear on average from every one of our customers, whether mm. it's a trial or, or purchase, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So we had to <laughs> we had to take that into account. Right. You know, yeah. it's not about volume for us. We really want to maximize revenue, mm-hmm. which maximizes the value for not for us and our customers. Because if we're not being overwhelmed by tech support. We're able to respond quickly and courteously to our customers, and it also gives us time to work on new features. Right. If we're just like bombarded with zillions of customers needing help to do this, that, and the other thing, you know, it, it would be miserable yeah. for everybody. Yeah. So anyway, that that's um, what we're trying to do with mm-hmm. BusyMac is we're, we're keeping it sane. It's just me and Dave. We actually have a contractor that helps us with tech support. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really like two and a half. <clears throat> but we're resisting the temptation to bring on new people. We've resisted the temptation to do iPhone and iPad right. yeah. so far. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, just taking it a day at a time. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. cool. Well, more power to you. It seems like a fantastic way to approach it, honestly. Thanks. I'm glad it's working. Thank you. Yeah, living the dream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, listeners, you can always get our show notes and uh, all the goodies at... TheRecord.tv slash season one. John, thank you so much for joining us. It's been thank you really for having cool. me. It was a lot of fun.